Joining me as I start Act 1, Scene 1 of Steam Spies Solo Stories. Now, uh, for those of you that are familiar with the, the Steam Spies rules, if you've gotten the book and had a chance to look it over, hopefully, you may notice that I'm using something that's a little bit closer to the uh, GM-less co-op rules than the versus solo rules that are in the book. I'm doing this for a couple of reasons. For one, I really want to try and draw this into a longer campaign, and uh, that'll hopefully be a little bit more interesting for, for an ongoing podcast. And also to kind of help introduce those rules a little bit more. So I think those are the ones you're probably going to be a little bit more common with if, if you're working for, with a group and you want to uh, use those. But there's absolutely no reason that you can't do this for your own games. If that's how you want to play, if you want to play solo this way or the way in the book, Steam Spies is really flexible in terms of how you play the game. So there are several different options there. Do what works for you. That's what it's all about. So in Steam Spy, there are six different action types. We'll explain more about those as they kind of come up in the, the game mechanics. But for right now, I want to talk about how they affect the, the scene layout. Every scene uh, in, in Steam Spies uses one of these action types as kind of a basic theme to kind of help guide the drama, make sure you're kind of doing some diverse things, that sort of thing. So in the case of this opening scene, we've determined that the story is going to begin with my character, Roland Doyle. He's meeting an, a dragon sect agent somewhere on the streets of Amsterdam about a special motorized kite device. So that would suggest that this, is, this first scene is going to be along the lines of an interaction scene. Of course that might change as the situation develops, but uh, that's, a, that's a starting point for what we're going to do. So, uh, let's, say, let's say it's sundown. I'm not even going to roll for that. That just seems like a nice atmospheric thing and appropriate time to say, okay, you're going to meet at sundown a good time. And uh, it's probably going to be at some out-of-the-way street somewhere along one of Amsterdam's canals. Uh, probably near a dark alley, since, you know, let's face it, all spy stuff needs a good shadowy location to take place. So, uh, I'm, I'm kind of quietly approaching, and I see the dragon sect agent uh, waiting right where he's supposed to be. Decided his name is uh, Quang Zhu. Still hope I'm pronouncing that right. And uh, I see him there waiting. So, uh, you know what, this raises a good question. Is he there to willingly meet with me? Uh, is he there to give the United Alliance this experimental kite thing? Or is there something else going on? Is there something I'm going to have to kind of uh, wheel and deal with him with? So, um, for this I'm going to use another narrator tool. This one is called a story cipher. And it's used to answer basic yes or no questions, which this is. 
In this case, it makes use of two dice. One die gives a very flat yes or no answer to the question. Uh, the other lets in a little bit more nuance to that question. So uh, the first die is called a live die because it basically determines the ultimate do or die answer to the question. The second die is the let die because it lets in some more variables. But before we roll the live and let die, we have to, um, have to yes, and by the way, you do have to sing it like Paul McCartney whenever possible. Say live and let die. Yeah. This is that kind of game, so kind of get used to it. Before you roll the die, you have to determine a general threat rating. That can range from very calm to very tense. In this case, I would say that everything is still fairly calm. Not very calm, but somewhat calm. So uh, we're going to go with that. And uh, that means that I'm going to subtract one from the result of my live die roll. So when I roll my two dice, Let's see here. I get a four on my live die, minus one, that makes it a three, and a two on my let die. So the live die comes up with a no, and the let die comes up with a but. So the question, the question that we came up with is, is he there willingly to give the United Alliance this experimental kite? The answer is no but. What does that mean? It means he's not there to give the Unified Alliance. But what if he's there to give it to someone else? So who is he there to give it to? All right, I'm going to go back to the uh, mission table. And I'm going to make a roll on the target table, because that, that would give the uh, suggestion of who it's for. And I roll a 1. So he thinks that I work for the federal agent. And that's who he thinks that he's doing business with. Okay, so the federal agent, that's the agency from North America. Uh, since Doyle was originally American, should be a relatively easy cover, so uh, that's, that's good. Okay, so Doyle's going to kind of walk up and, and make the contact. And, uh, I say, uh, good evening. Uh, are you from the Dragon Sect? I understand you have something for me? Okay, maybe that, uh, it's okay. Uh, not the smoothest pie approach, but uh, we're just getting started. We'll, we'll, as things flesh out more, we'll, more will fall into place. The, the characters and, and stuff will, will develop. Um, but uh, actually, what this is probably a good place for our first actual die roll. So we can see how a, a real die roll happens for this game. As I said, the theme for this scene is interaction. And this is certainly going to be an interaction action. So this action has an action type of interaction. The contact, Mr. Zoo, is going to use his face, which is eight. And I would say his persuasion skill is appropriate as well. So that makes uh, a total of nine. Nine, is, uh, nine becomes the difficulty number that I'm trying to beat. So my character has to beat his is a generated number there of nine. Uh, NPCs don't roll dice. They just create a, a difficulty number. All right. So player agents have the same three types as NPCs. Analyst, face, and muscle. In this case, I'm trying to negotiate with them. So I'm, I'm trying to be kind of a face-type spy, kind of the personality, charisma type of uh, motif. So I'm going to take that agent type, and I'm going to cross-reference it with the action type 
interaction, and that's going to determine a specific role that I'm playing. So in this case, I'm taking on the role of uh, confidant. Um, so I'm going to roll a number of dice equal to my face and keep a number of dice equal to my confidant. So let's see here. I roll three dice and I get three, two, and two. So I'm going to keep the best two dice. That would be a three and a two. And lastly, I can add my persuasion to the skill. So that gives me a, uh, a total of three plus two plus one, total of six, which is not higher than Mr. Zoo's total of nine. So the interaction fails. Okay, so Mr. Zoo, his reaction is probably going to be that he attacks Doyle. And, you know, that's kind of a clumsy approach, uh, introductory line. So I don't blame him. So, what that means is we're going to be switching to a fighting action. We're going from interaction to fighting. Even though the scene theme is still interaction, we've gone to, to a different uh, specific action. So for this, Zoo is going to use his muscle type. And uh, he, probably, he probably carries a knife or something, so he's going to draw that, which means he's going to add his melee skill. That uh, makes for a total opposed value of 8. And... For Doyle, his strongest type is face, so he's going to kind of try and stick with that. He's going to fight with his his face type. What that means is, uh, so he's going to be so his role is as a fainter, putting that in narrative terms. He's going to be kind of fainting. He's going to be trying to kind of dodge and trick his way into a clear attack, which is which is how that uh, that's going to play out. So he rolls three dice and keeps two. And he's also going to draw a knife, so he can use his melee. So he gets, uh, oh, oh, he got a six on his golden die. Oh, okay, I forgot to mention the golden die. Every time a player rolls dice, almost every time, we'll get into details, but for the most part, one of his dice is always called a, called a golden die. And again, you should kind of sing that like Tina Turner. Golden die, you don't want to hear me sing. Anyway, if that die rolls a six, it explodes. You probably heard that term in other games, but an exploding die means you get to you get to roll it again and add that to to that dice roll. So with that, I roll that die again. Total Doyle gets a fifteen, which is seven more than Zoo's eight. So he does seven points of damage to Zoo. Now, NPCs take an amount of damage that's equal to their highest type. In this case, Zoo's highest type is an eight. So seven points doesn't quite take him out. He's, he's hurt, but he's still standing. So for the next attack, um, Doyle's going to shake things up and take more of a muscle approach. One of the interesting quirks with Steam Spies is that the character development is based on the number of different roles that you use within a game. So there's there's definitely a value in doing things in a variety of ways. So that's why I'm trying to do something, even though the uh, fainter is his best trait, going to something else is, is worth doing. So we're going to try that. In this case, 
Uh, I only get to roll two dice for my muscle. And the roll I'm taking is Pugilist. So I'm just kind of a straight muscling in for a direct attack. Uh, so that's also two dice. I can still use my melee skill. So I'm going to roll. Ooh, oh no. I rolled a total of six against Zeus eight. That means Roland takes two damage. Okay. Now for player characters, there are three different levels of damage. And uh, those values are based on the agent type values. Since Roland's highest type is three, he gets to take three winded damage before he becomes wounded. So right now he only has two damage. Uh, so he's still okay. He's only winded. That has no real game effect on anything, so he's okay. He's, he's probably scratched. He's got a cut, but nothing that's really going to affect him in any way. But now I think he's going to stick with the pugilist approach. So I'm going to roll again, and... Uh, that's another six. So he gets two more points of damage. Okay, now in this case... He takes his last point of winded damage, and now he becomes wounded. Um, he can only take enough wounds as his second highest type, which is two. Once he takes two more damage, he'll become injured. So right now he's wounded. Since his winded type is full, that means his highest type is temporarily reduced to the value of his second highest type. So his face is now two instead of three. Okay, hopefully that makes sense. But uh, so now, now he's actually hurting. Now it's actually impacting his performance a little bit. Now things are getting kind of rough. I would probably normally go back and play it safe and go back to using Doyle's fainter roll. But since, uh, since he's wounded, his, his face comes down and it's the same as his body now. So, and I only need one more point to take out Zoo. I'm so close. So with, with Doyle's face reduced, his fainter is the same as Pugilist, so it doesn't make any difference. I might as well keep trying with the Pugilist and try and get a success out of that uh, for the, for the uh, bonus points. So let's try that and see what happens. I'm only rolling two dice this time, but I get to keep them both, add the skill, and I get a, a 10. Okay, that's enough. Uh, yeah, I, that gives me two points of damage. He only needed one. So... Um, so the two of us are, are, are kind of twisting and slashing, uh, banging against the, the walls of this alley, and finally I get in, a, I see an opening, I, I jab in the, with all my might, I, I uh, jab my knife and bury it in his ribs, and his eyes go wide and he slumps down the wall of the alley. Whew. Okay, so I got him. A little, little wounded, but uh, a little sore. But, uh, got him. But where do I go from here? Okay, my contact's dead. So he wouldn't have the kite here with him. He probably would have been sending his contact someplace to pick it up. He probably would have made contact and said, okay, pick it up here. Okay, I'm going to search his body. And I'm going to say that I find a card with an address on it. That would probably be where he was going to send send the contact. I'm not going to roll for the the, the narration. The story needs he needs to be able to move forward. So 
Um, I'm just going to say that happens. And so Doyle has an address where presumably he can go pick up the kite. But you know what? I think this is a good place to end this episode. So once again, I want to thank you and encourage you to uh, tune in for the next exciting episode of Steam Spies Solo Stories. Thanks for joining me. And that's it for this episode of Tabletop Radio Hour. Like always, you can find this episode on soundcloud.com slash tabletopradiohour and on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at TabletopCast if you have any questions or comments. You can join us over on facebook.com slash tabletopradiohour for regular updates. We also have an email address that is tabletopradiohour at gmail.com. Our website tabletopradiohour.wordpress.com You can find information about our Patreon page on our website. I want to thank you all for listening, and keep rolling 20s.